When um, I planned uh, this new series um, several weeks ago, I had no idea, uh, obviously, that we would be in this situation of lockdown. I don't think anybody saw that coming particularly, and it's been a new and sometimes frightening experience for us all. Unthinkable things have changed, haven't they? Things that we have taken for granted just haven't happened. Church, parties, weddings, funerals, even football. Who would have guessed that football would stop? Unbelievable. But what I realised as I read this first passage and thought about the many everyday relationships that we're going to look at in this series is that this is somehow even more poignant and relevant in this time of lockdown. And as we read the letters Paul wrote to his dear friends in churches all over the Roman Empire, I am struck by the longing in his voice to be together again. And for the first time, I think we have some insight into how he feels. This enforced separation of our church body is costly for all of us, isn't it? The things we took for granted, being together on Sunday mornings, worshipping with our friends. For me, uh, the young children sneaking to the front for a cuddle while we're worshipping, shaking hands with each other on the door, sharing tea and coffee together after the service, um, trying to usher those last people out of the building at about <laughs> quarter past one. All of those things that we've taken for granted and now we long for and miss. And these things, uh, we realise, are actually the really important things. And perhaps Paul always knew the truth of that and the secret to that. Perhaps on his life, on his missionary journeys and in prison, where he wrote so many of his letters to his friends in churches, perhaps that gave him the feeling that we have now of all that longing for the important and yet ordinary things of just being together. So as we study over the next few weeks what the Bible has to say to us about our relationships with our spouses, our children, our parents, our food, our money, our church, our work and our play, perhaps we are in the best possible place to take stock and to think and really hear from God to make those relationships as godly as possible. So this lovely passage from Philippians 4 uh, that Jonathan's just read for us is a particularly great place to start as it's one of Paul's most heart-wrenching letters from prison. He's in isolation and missing his friends and church family. He is, like us, facing the reality of his own mortality and a frightening and unpredictable future. And yet he is not afraid. His trust in God flows through his letter, but the situation he finds himself in gives him an urgency. He is desperate that his dearly loved church in Philippi would not miss out on anything that godly relationships could bring. And so he urges them in two areas. First of all, he wants to talk to them about godly relationships with each other, And secondly, he wants to talk to them about godly relationships with their surroundings and their pastimes. So, godly relationships with each other. Paul uses the most loving language to talk about this church. He loves them and longs for them. 
And perhaps only absence can make us realise how we love someone. But from his prison cell 2,000 years ago, we can feel the love he has for this group of people. They are not just the desire of his heart, but the joy and crown of his ministry. He has immense pride in them as well as his love for them as individuals. And his pastor's heart is laid bare as he expresses his affection, pride and hurt. Perhaps as strong as his desire to be with them is his desire to see a broken relationship between two precious and hard-working women restored. Notice that he doesn't get into what the falling out has been about. He just pleads with them to get their minds back on the right track and to serve God together. And if, like me, you are wondering what it is these ladies fell out about... Was it the colour of the tablecloths in the church hall or some other such small thing? Well, maybe we haven't got the focus quite right either. Paul was not interested in getting into the whys and wherefores of this disagreement. And how often could we avoid trouble and the magnification of a disagreement if we took this pastoral approach? To Paul, the falling out is only important because it causes hurt to two women that he loves and the church, and it distracts from the mission that they are all on. And so what we learn about Paul's feelings and about relationships from both these verses is that he knows that they are precious, and we know that, don't we, so much at the moment, but he also knows that they are fragile and that the state of them affects the whole body. Relationships are precious to all of us. They are what make life worth living. And we know that now that we are confined to those relationships in our household. And for some of us who live alone, we are starved of those real and tactile relationships that until recently were part and parcel of everyday life. Who would have thought that a hug from a grandchild might be the thing we long for most when actually all our holidays and parties are being cancelled? Relationships matter to us because we are made for them. As Dave said at the beginning of our service, we are made in God's image, who himself lives in relationship, made to be with and enjoy other people, made to share a relationship with our Heavenly Father in community. And these are basic human needs and it's no wonder that we have felt sad and bereft when these relationships have been reduced and lost in this time of lockdown. Perhaps we have a rare opportunity to really treasure these most precious gifts. To not easily take for granted the hug in church or the visit from a friend or family member. Perhaps this is one of the gifts that God can give us in the midst of this virus. But these relationships are also fragile. Paul doesn't say or even hint that Sintiki and Euodia were troublemakers who somehow were always having ding-dongs. Quite the reverse. These were women who worked shoulder to shoulder with Paul. They were hard-working ministers of the gospel whose names are written in the book of life. In other words, this can happen to any of us. And Paul's remedy is not to discipline, but to provide loving understanding. 
He's not asking the church leaders to take sides or to arbitrate. He's asking the church to help them, even as he pleads with them to work it out. Broken relationships don't just affect the people in conflict, they hurt the whole body. And any of us who've lived through church relationship breakdown know only too well the cost and the hurt of these situations. And Paul pleads with them all to heal the rift, to turn their eyes once more to what is important and to honour each other still. We may not be in conflict, I hope that we're not, but we may well have been guilty of taking for granted or not honouring those who we've worked for the gospel with over many, many years. What might God be saying to us about the value of those relationships as we live without them? How might we treasure them, honour them and protect them more? Well, the second thing Paul highlights in this lovely passage is that we are to have godly relationships with our surroundings and our pastimes. One of the questions I've been asking people as I ring round during the week is, what have you been doing to fill your day? What have you been doing to keep yourself sane and to stop yourself going stir crazy? And it's not just because I'm nosy, although all of you know that I am a bit nosy. Although I have really enjoyed hearing about people's hobbies and what they're reading and what they're doing on the computer and what they're doing in the garden and all those kind of things. What we have all learned in this period of enforced lockdown is that what we focus our minds on really affects our well-being. If we spend too much time listening to the news, we become anxious. If we don't find something constructive to do, we feel listless and out of sorts. And let's face it, there are only so many kitchen cupboards we can tidy. And if we haven't got a routine to our day, we find it hard to sleep properly. Paul knew this truth 2,000 years ago. Locked up in a prison cell, he had learned how powerful it was to use your mind to dwell on helpful and noble things. Several years ago, um, I read uh, the biography of Terry Waite, and uh, you may well remember who Terry Waite was. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury's special envoy, and uh, as he was going on a mercy mission to Beirut in Lebanon, in the late 1980s, he was taken hostage. And I remember very, very well the day that Terry Waite was taken hostage because it was my first early shift ever on a ward at the London Hospital. And I remember us discussing it in report as we waited to go out and look after the patients. But poor old Terry Waite spent several years in solitary confinement in Beirut. And he describes in his autobiography all the different ways that he found of keeping his mind active and how his very survival depended on it and how it was so important for him to focus on healthy things and he tried to remember passages of the Bible um, but how really difficult that was. And then one day, by some absolute miracle, he received a postcard that had been sent to him by a couple who were praying for him in, um, in this country, in Bedford. And they had literally sent a postcard addressed to Terry Waite, care of Hezbollah, Beirut. And somehow it had found him. 
And uh, his captors gave him this postcard, which basically just told him that they were praying for him. But it had a picture of John Bunyan in prison, writing Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, Terry Waite talks about how this small postcard lifted his thoughts and his well-being, how it gave him something noble and pure and right and lovely to focus on, and how he made a choice to think about such things. Now, we are not in prison, but I know that many of you have felt as though you are trapped in a similar way. And we too can make choices about what we spend our time thinking about and dwelling on. We can use this time to spend time with God, to read and to listen to things that will help us and build us up and help us to grow, or we can choose not to. We can dwell on the difficulties we face, or we can choose to stand in the very real pain of those difficulties, but to trust God for the future. None of this is easy, but it starts with very small choices about what we expose our minds to. It starts with the choice about where we go on the internet, what we watch on the television and what we read. These small choices help us to make better choices each time until we are the sort of person that fills their life and mind with good, noble and lovely things. So as we explore over the next few weeks our relationships with the big but ordinary things in our lives, we can make choices that help those relationships become more godly and ourselves more healthy. Now is the perfect time to step back and take a good look at what we spend our time thinking on. In our relationships, are we focusing on working together for the gospel and not on the small daily niggles which might bring disunity or brokenness? And in our surroundings and in our past times, are we seeking to fill our minds and time with the sort of things that build us up and bring our well-being? And if the answer to these questions is a little shaky, as I'm sure it is for all of us, then hopefully the next few weeks will bless us all together as we seek to become more like Jesus in both these areas.